And the Lord says, some of you don't even know what you've been asking. So be serious about it. Be serious. Be sober. For I have begun a purging. I've begun to blow on those embers. Not here, not just here. But in my church at large, all those who will hear my voice, seek my face, it is begun. Please open to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. I so enjoy it. And oftentimes, you know, we take for granted the entirety of the Christmas story. I'm already looking forward to next year. Some things to share um, historically about all this. We just didn't work out this year. But in Matthew chapter 1, we pick this up in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. And notice in verse 21, the angel says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now look over in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And here in Luke chapter 1, we pick it up in verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. That verse right there, man. That verse 37. That, that, you know, that right there. For with God nothing shall be impossible. For with God. That's challenging because, you know, if God can cause a virgin to bear a child, how much more can He do with us that is far less a miracle if we are with Him? But, verse 38, continuing, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And if you notice in verse 31, the angel is speaking to Mary and says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all, the, uh, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, you'll notice here in Luke 2, the angel is speaking to the shepherds and says, look in uh, verse 10, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, look here in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Now this literally means on this specific day that I am appearing unto you, this baby has been born. He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David 
a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, this event takes place nine months after Mary is visited by the angel. And the angel says, you'll name him Jesus. It's nine months after the angel, well, roughly nine months after the angel appears to Joseph and says, you'll name him Jesus. So here we are, nine months later, Jesus is born, and the angel says, verse 11, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Notice what the angel does not say. The angel doesn't say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and His name is Jesus. See that? Why not? I mean, the angel knew. The angel knew that his name was to be Jesus, so why not? Why not tell them? Wouldn't that have been easier? Just like, okay, we're looking for some people who just had a baby named Jesus. Wouldn't it have been easier? Well, yeah, it would have been a lot easier. But why not? It's because of verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, eight days after the baby boys were born, that's when they circumcised. His name was called Jesus which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. They did not give the babies the name. Well, okay, I can't say this 100% of the time holds true, but generally speaking, the babies weren't given the name, baby boys weren't given the name until the day they were circumcised. Then they were given the name. Now, the angel had given both to Joseph and to Mary an instruction and said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Remember that? Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Mary and Joseph had been given the responsibility by God to name that baby Jesus. It was not the angel's responsibility. And until Jesus had been born and eight days later circumcised, Mary and Joseph did not officially, today we would say, they did not officially put the name Jesus on the birth certificate. So until that time, the angel did not have the authority to name him Jesus or to call him Jesus. That authority had been given to Mary and to Joseph. Now that right there should tell you a lot about our authority here on earth. That angel knew that baby was going to be named Jesus. The angel could have said, and his name will be Jesus, the baby you're looking for. But the angel knew he couldn't because that authority had been given to Mary and to Joseph. A lot of times we ask God to do things that God has given us the authority to do here on earth. And if we don't do it, it don't get done. Now that right there should help us understand a lot about why some things maybe don't happen here the way that we think they should. It's because that authority has been passed on to us here in this realm. Well, this is all interesting. But I can remember thinking, okay, well, why did the, na- the, 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 the angel tell them, Mary and Joseph, to name the baby Jesus? Well, then somebody could say, well, because I'm sure God told the angel, let them know. The angel didn't just come up with this. Well, I agree with you. But why the name Jesus? I mean, why not Guido? (laughs) Why not Alfonso? (laughs) 
Why not Bob? Why not Rufus? You follow me? God doesn't do anything without a reason. God just didn't, he, he didn't write a bunch of names down and put them in a barrel and say, okay, which name? Nope. Jesus. Okay. He didn't have a lottery in heaven where everybody, you know, suggested a name and then they voted or something. No, it didn't work that way. God specifically said, you tell them, name that baby Jesus. You name, you tell them. Okay, so why? What's so big about the name of Jesus? And some people would say, well, that's because the name of Jesus is the name above all names. Yeah, but it wasn't the name above all names until... Do you read the Scriptures? <laughs> he became obedient unto death, and, and because of this, you know, God has given to him the name. You understand? He, it wasn't he became obedient unto birth. He became obedient unto death. So, okay, let's go back to the birth part. Why the name Jesus? There's got to be a reason. Guess what? <laughs> there is a reason. Let's find out. That yeah, somebody gasping up here. Turn to let's start and lay some foundation. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. And in verse thirty-five, it says, "Now this is talking about the resurrection of the dead." Specifically, those who are born again. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 41. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It, the body, is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now, when it says it is sown, it's talking about being buried. Okay? Verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so, it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening or life-giving spirit. Verse 49, And as we believers have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now when it talks about bear the image of the heavenly, you know, we don't have time to, you know, every verse in here. What it's talking about, bearing the image of the heavenly, it's talking about bearing the image of Jesus who has gone before us. We will bear that same image. Another place it talks about that we will be like Him as He is. And so we see here in verse 45, the first man, Adam, that goes all the way back to Genesis, was made a living soul. The last Adam, now that's speaking of Jesus. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Well, we understand what that's talking about. That we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and through Him, we receive a born-again life. Or, we are quickened unto spiritual life. The first Adam 
We know what happened with him. The second Adam, thank God he didn't do, or the, the last Adam, thank God he didn't do what the first Adam did. We understand that. But it's interesting how that Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. Won't get into a whole lot of explanation about that. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. And again, we're, we're working our way forward in this to see what's really going on and why God chose the name Jesus. In Genesis chapter 12, now we know that God had uh, spoken unto Abraham at the time he was Abram, and he said, leave home and I'm going to tell you where to go after you head on out. Well, we get to verse 7, and it says that the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So God says, I'm going to give this land to you. And Abram says, oh, wow, this is really amazing. So he builds an altar representing he had an encounter with God. Now, chapter 13. Verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise. Walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So what we see then is God making this promise to Abram, who became Abraham. All this land I'm going to give to you, but it's also for your seed after you. Now we understand ultimately this is what was referred to as the promised land. And it was uh, where Israel was, was going to exist. And we know the whole story there. But now turn over to, to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what's happened, you know, uh, the Jewish people have been released from Egypt. And they've been roughly 40 years now in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6... Moses, well, really the book of Deuteronomy is kind of like Moses giving a farewell speech to the nation of Israel because he's going to die. <laughs> so we pick it up, Deuteronomy 6, in verse 3. He says, Moses is speaking to the people, he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Well, that's talking about the promised land. We know that. Then we go over to verse 10. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou Digst not, vineyards and olive trees which thou planted not, when thou shalt have been eaten and, and full, and he goes on to give a warning. But what he's saying is you're going to go into this land, and when you get there, what what you're going to find is basically everything you need. There'll be houses. There'll be crops that are growing. 
You're going to have wells already dug. You're going to have a supply of water and so forth. When God takes you into this promised land. Now, what is the promised land? The promised land is the land of the covenant that God had established with Abraham. Remember that? So Abraham and God, they established a covenant. No time today to go back and teach all of that. But Abraham, and, and if you continue in Scripture, even into the New Testament, there are references to Abraham and the covenant. And that covenant included this promised land. Well, as Moses is speaking all this, there's something we need to keep in mind. That even though God had given this revelation to Moses, Moses was not the one who took them into the promised land. Now turn back to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27 and pick it up in verse 12. And this is very shortly before Moses died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this mount Abiram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother was gathered. Now what he's telling him is, you climb up to the top of this mountain and you look out, and I'm going to let you see from this peak the promised land. And after you've seen it, you're going to die. Because, verse 14, you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes, that is, the water of Mirabah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take ye Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight, and thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. So here's what we see. We see that Moses is going to die, and Moses says, okay, if I'm going to be gone, then somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody who's going to lead the people. And God said, you go get Joshua, and he's the one who's going to be in charge after you die. Moses did not pick Joshua. God picked Joshua and told Moses, set him before the people and let the people know I'm the one who picked him. Okay, now here's what this means. And this is something that a lot of people uh, tend to miss. When the Jews looked back on their history, and I'm talking, you know, like back in these days and the days when Jesus was here on earth, when they looked back on their history and the way that God established them as a nation, they basically had three people that they looked to. Number one was Abraham for the covenant. Number two was Moses because Moses is the one through whom God gave them the law. 
And the third person that doesn't get talked about a whole lot was Joshua. Because Joshua is the one who led them into the promised land. So even though you don't see a lot in the New Testament about uh, Joshua the way you do Moses and Abraham, the fact remains, to the Jewish mind, there were these three people who stood out above everybody else. Now, after these three, you had people like Daniel and David and so on. We get that. But when it comes to that, that people group called the Jews, and to them being established as a country, as a nation, those three people stand out more than anyone. Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. Joshua is the one that led them into the promised land. I'll turn over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Now in Acts chapter 7, what's happening is uh, Stephen is giving his sermon. This is right before he gets stoned, obviously. And we pick this up in, um, in verse 44. It says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness, or the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness... As he, God, had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he, Moses, should make it according to the fashion that he, Moses, had seen. Okay, so now what tabernacle are they talking about? Well, obviously, the tabernacle that was built out of, you know, the sheepskin and and so on. We know which tabernacle that was. Verse 45, which also our fathers that came after brought in with, okay, what's that next word? Now, in some, I'm talking from the King James. I don't know what version you're looking at, but in some Bibles, it will say Jesus. How many of you, your Bible says Jesus? How many of you, your Bible says Joshua? Okay. That's because this name, this isn't speaking about Jesus Christ. The the name Jesus is the word Yeshua. The word Yeshua is translated in the Old Testament, Joshua. The name Yeshua in the New Testament is translated Jesus. Okay? So, in this verse 45, which also our fathers that came after brought in, the tabernacle is what the fathers brought into the promised land when Joshua, Jesus, as it says in some versions, led them into what had been the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Which means there was that God moved to drive out all the pagan nations from this land that He had given to them. And the Jewish fathers, you know, their, their ancestors, they entered into the promised land following, here it says Jesus, but it's Yeshua, following Yeshua, into the promised land, bringing the tabernacle with them. Now remember, the tabernacle was the place that the Jews saw as the habitation of God. And in verse 46, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Now now back up in verse 45, and we'll understand this. Our fathers, our ancestors, brought the tabernacle into the promised land as Yeshua led us into it, that land which 
had formerly been the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. And it was David, verse 46, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Remember in the Old Testament, David wanted to build this big temple for God. But God said, no, you're not the one to build it. You will accumulate building supplies and save up some money, but your son, Solomon, is going to be the one who will build the temple. And it says this in verse 47, that Solomon built him a house. Howbeit, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Now this is God speaking in verse 49. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Okay, now let's think about this. The Jews had these three men, Abraham, Moses, and Joshua, in their history that were instrumental in establishing the nation of Israel. Now, they knew that God had a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant contained a promise to go into the promised land. So, after God established this covenant and gave that promise to Abraham, over 400 years passed before the Jewish people entered into the promised land. Okay, now imagine here you are, one of these, uh, you're a Jewish person. And you're thinking, man, I'll tell you what, you know, God established this covenant with Abraham, and they were holding on to this covenant. And one of the things that he promised was that we would have a promised land. Well, I was part of the covenant. When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? Well, then Moses shows up, and everybody gets led out. And you're being led out into the direction of what? The promised land. Well, we know what happened, the rebellion, the 40 years in the wilderness. But finally, they end up in the promised land. Now, if you're a Jewish person, try to imagine the mindset of being in the promised land. It's like, glory to God, here we are. God established a covenant with Abraham and, and gave us, you know, this promised land. And not only that, but through Moses, he gave us the law to prove that he loves us more than anybody else on earth. And we know now what it is that he wants us to do. And Joshua is the one who led us into the promised land. Here we are. We're a nation. This is, now hear this, this is the fulfillment of everything God has desired. Would you not think that if you were a Jewish person back then? And now here you are in His promised land. Look at this. Houses that we didn't build. Vineyards and olive trees we didn't plant. Wells we didn't dig. Look at this. Look at this. Praise God. We're the people who, are, who have seen the plan of God finally fulfilled in the earth. Well, was it? <laughs> Let's find out. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Now, you guys know that the plan really wasn't completely fulfilled. But for the people living back then, those Jewish folks, it would have been very easy for them to think 
This is it. It's over and done with. And if you read closely in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see how that the religious leaders, so many of them, were absolutely convinced. It's, it's over. There's nothing left for God to do. This is it. We are the people. Well, <clears throat> even Jesus said, hey, search the Scriptures. You think that because you have them, you have eternal life. But the truth is, they point to Me. They point to Me. Alright, now, Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, beginning in verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Okay, so what we know then, <clears throat> right here, this is being spoken to Christians. Those who are born again. Because if you're not born again, Jesus is not the apostle and high priest of your profession. You understand that, right? So it says here, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Well, verse 2, who was the him that appointed Jesus? Well, it was God, Father God, who appointed Jesus, as also Moses was appointed by Father God to be faithful in his house. For this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son. Now notice Moses is referred to in verse 5 as a servant. Christ is referred to as a son. See the difference? But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, I'm not going off on a rabbit trail on this one, but that verse 6 tells you right now that you have a choice as to whether or not you are going to hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ. He says again, Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. If I'm his house, that means he's living in me. Remember what God said over there in Acts chapter 7? Where is my house? Where will I find my rest? And it says here again, verse 6, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So now he's he's going back and he's saying, hey, don't be like those people back there when you know they got released out of Egypt and so forth. He says, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. In other words, they were witnesses of my presence, my strength, my glory, and my power for 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
Now, again, I'm not going off on a tangent, but he's telling you right now, those of you who are born again, you know, don't let your heart be hardened by thinking you can get away with sin. You see this? That means this is a process. This Right here, what he's talking about, this is part of what's going on in the body of Christ today when people tell you the grace of God, the blood of Jesus is such to where your sins, past, present, and future, automatically dealt with and you don't have to worry about it. That is the deceitfulness of sin he's talking about here. And he says, look, don't let your heart be hardened by thinking this way. He said, verse 14, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was He grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed, believed what? We which have believed in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. Those of us who have heard, Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. You must accept Him. You must believe Him. He said, for we which have believed, we which have believed. This is not talking about back in the 40 years. Way back when they came out of Egypt. This is talking about now. We, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're the ones who do enter into rest. As He said, As I have sworn in My wrath, if they shall enter into My rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For He spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest from the uh, rest the seventh day from all His works, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore, now look at this. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter in, must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if, now, I don't know what version you're looking at, but in some versions of the Bible it says Jesus. In other versions it will say Joshua. How many of you in verse 8 see Jesus? How many, okay, how many of you see Joshua? None of you see Joshua? Really? Interesting. Okay, that's alright. That's not wrong. Because once again, this is the word Yeshua. Now look at this. For if Yeshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. What Yeshua is he talking about in verse 8? He's talking about 
the successor to Moses in verse 8. And he said, if Old Testament Yeshua had been able to give them the rest that God fully intended, then there would never have been a mention of another day. Another day of what? Another day or another way to enter into the rest that God fully desired for humanity. And he says in verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Who are the people of God he's talking about here? He's talking about the Jewish people. And he's saying, again, think, try to see this from the Jewish mindset. The Jewish mindset was, Hey, we had Abraham, covenant. Then we had Moses, law. Then we had Joshua, Yeshua, who took us into the promised land. Now we are at the place of rest. Everything's settled. Everything is done. There's nothing left to do. And yet, it says right here, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Why is that? Because the entering into the promised land was a type and shadow in the earth, in the natural, of the spiritual rest that God wanted to take humanity into. And he's saying, look, <laughs> the Jews think that once they get into the, once they got into the promised land, that's it. Everything is fulfilled. And he says, no, if that were the case, there would never have been anything said about another day or another rest. Therefore, even though the Jews are living in the promised land physically, there remaineth another rest for the people of God. And in verse 10 he says, For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of any unbelief. How do we labor to enter into that rest? The labor is this, to lay aside the fact, now speaking to the Jewish people, to lay aside the fact that just because you geographically are living in a nation called Israel, that God called the geographical promised land, don't let that deceive you into thinking that there's nothing left for God to do in your life. Because, he says, you have to labor to enter into this. The laboring is laying aside everything you've believed in the past and accepting what God has established right here, right now for you. Now, look at this. The Old Testament Yeshua led the Jews into the promised land. And they may have thought we have found our final destination. This is it. There is no more. This is the completion, the culmination of everything that God had covenanted with Abraham, promised in the law, so on and so forth. In other words, they thought they had entered into the final rest that God had promised. How did they enter into that rest? It was because Old Testament Yeshua led them in. God appointed the first Yeshua, the responsibility to lead the Jews into the physical promised land, but that physical promised land was not what God was ultimately after. It's not the end result. It's not what He had in mind. He wanted them to enter into a spiritual promised land, the spiritual promised land of His kingdom and of salvation. What the first Yeshua did was symbolic of what was to come that the second Yeshua was going to do for all humanity. When the New Testament Yeshua arrived on earth, see, we read Jesus and we know the name Jesus. But now think in terms 
of the Jewish people being alive at that time when Jesus came to earth. He goes around and he's, he's given that name Yeshua. And every time people ask, who is that guy? What's well, Yeshua? Now, what pops up in the mind of a Jewish people? Yeshua, the man who led us into the promised land. Yeshua, the man who led us into what they thought our eternal land of rest. Yeshua, the guy that led us into the completion of God's plan for people. Every time he went around telling people his name was Yeshua or people introducing him as Yeshua or whatever it was, he's the one who is trying to get across to the people, hey, I'm not who you think I am. I am the true Yeshua. I'm not just some guy that came along who happened to be named Yeshua. I'm the guy, the true Yeshua, who has come to lead you into the fullness of God's ultimate promise, which is eternal rest in salvation. Eternal rest into His kingdom. Listen to this. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but my me. What He's saying here in part is, I am the way into the Father's place of eternal rest. I'm the way. Follow me and I will lead you into this place of eternal salvation, this place of God's plan for eternal rest. In Matthew 11:28, Jesus said, "Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest." In Romans 8:32, God said, "He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things?" This is symbolic of the fact That once we follow our Yeshua into our eternal salvation resting place, it means that we now have the wells that we didn't dig. We now have the houses that we didn't build. We now have the, the, the vineyards and the olive trees that we didn't plant. In every, in other words, once we enter into that eternal place of salvation rest through Yeshua, the Son of God, we enter into a place to where we don't have to labor for these things. We trust Yeshua and His completed work and our salvation's rest that we can receive these things through Him. Praise God. See, the Jews thought that the first Yeshua had led them into this place of eternal rest that God had promised, and yet it was not the fulfillment of everything God desired. They were looking and believing in the wrong Yeshua. He was the type and shadow of the Yeshua who was to come. See, God could have said, name that baby Abraham. He could have said, name that baby Moses. But the reason he said, name that baby Yeshua, was because Yeshua in the Old Testament was the one who led them into the geographical rest. Jesus, the New Testament Yeshua, was the one that God was going to use to lead humanity into eternal rest of salvation with Him. This is why God had Him named Yeshua. See, he's not only the last Yeshua, but he's also, and we read that he's the last, the last Adam, but he's also the last Abraham. Because remember, Abraham was the one that they looked, the Jews looked to, you know, the covenant with Abraham. But Hebrews 8, 6 says, 
But now hath He obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also He is the mediator of what? A better covenant which was established upon better promises. Yeshua. Our Yeshua is the last Abraham. But not only that, He's also the last Moses. In John 1.17 it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.17 says, Think not, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. We were delivered from the first law unto what now is referred to as the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He was the last Adam. He was the last Abraham. He's the last Moses. And He's the last Yeshua. The last Joshua. And through faith in Him, we now have the eternal rest that God had intended for humanity from from day one. Praise the Lord. 